It's good to see everybody out tonight. Beautiful night. Romans chapter 8. As you're turning there, Romans chapter 8 is one of the most beloved chapters in all of the Bible. It's some of the theologians' favorite chapter, one of the favorite chapters of the theologians, and a lot of just regular Christians. You'll see as we go through chapter 8, many verses that uh, might be memory verses for you, or life verses, verses that you've gone to before for comfort or encouragement. It's a tremendous chapter. And if you remember Romans chapter 7, where Paul just ended, he came in uh, chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, where he says, O wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this body of death? And then in the next verse, verse 25, he goes, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now the book of Romans is our doctrinal basis. It's what we, are, we find our faith is grounded in, in the book of Romans. If you can get a grasp of the book of Romans, it will increase your knowledge of everything you already believe. And remember, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans because he wasn't sure he was ever going to see them while he was still here on this earth. And remember, Rome was a crossroads of the world. All the roads went into Rome and out of Rome. And it impacted the culture. What was taken from Rome to the various parts of the world impacted everything that went on. So it was a great center of learning. And Paul felt if he could get this message to the Roman believers, that it would filter out into all the world. And guess what? It did. It even made it to Jamesburg. <laughs> Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God took his words and used men and women like you and I to carry his word, to carry his heart to various parts of the world. There's a book, it's called The Last Day of a Condemned Man. It's a short novel. It was written by Victor Hugo, and it was first published in 1829. The novel recounts the thoughts of a man condemned to die. Victor Hugo wrote this novel to express his feelings that the death penalty should be abolished. The story was about a man who has been condemned to death by the guillotine in the 19th century France. And he writes down his thoughts, his feelings, and his fears while he's awaiting his execution. His writings traces his change in thought from the world outside the prison cell throughout his imprisonment and describes his life in prison. Everything from what his cell looks like to the personality of the prison priest. He does not betray his name or what he has done to the reader, though he vaguely hints that he has killed someone. On the day he is to be executed, he sees his three-year-old daughter for the last time, but she no longer recognizes him. 
and tells him that her father is dead. The novel ends just after he briefly but desperately begs for pardon and he curses the people of his time. The people he hears outside screaming impatiently for the spectacle of his decapitation. I'd be a nut to send you home right now. And we're not going to do that. But we're going to go into Romans chapter 8. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus, notice that do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, if you're here tonight and you're a born-again believer, Christ is in you. And you are in Christ by faith. Your faith in what Jesus Christ has done and your trust in that makes you a born-again believer. Roman 8 begins with condemnation. It ends with no separation. And in between verse 1 and the last verse of chapter 8, there is no defeat. So the title of tonight's message is simply Freedom, Victory, and Unity. All in Christ. The freedom, the victory, and the unity that we have in Christ. Think about people and all the self-help books that are out there. How many deal with guilt, depression? How many target the mind and what people have been through? The different psychoanalysis and psychology and everything like that. Millions and millions of books have been written. Billions of dollars have been spent in trying to heal people have, who have been hurt. Whether that hurt took place as a young child, in their teenage years, young adult life. The search for that peace. That search for that not being condemned feeling or that guilty feeling. Verse 2 reads, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Notice, there are two laws at work. There's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, essential, imperative, nothing else matters but that in Christ Jesus. And notice, the other law, the law of sin and death. All of us are in one of those two places tonight. You're not in between. You're either in one or you're in the other. 
Now, the law of sin and death, remember, it's the power of sin that puts people in the grave. Every sin committed, every sin that I've committed, you've committed, is proof of that. And every cemetery supports it. Men and women die. Came in because of that first sin in the Garden of Eden. Started the cycle of life and death. Was never supposed to be like that. And one day it's not going to be like that anymore. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Notice that verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Remember, we've looked in other parts of Romans that the law was good, it was just, it directed us, guided us, but it was weak, not in itself, but when you and I are put up against it. Because of our flesh, we see that the law is incapable of saving us can't save us. It just points out that we have sin, that we fall short of God's glory. All of us. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how young you are or old you are. It doesn't matter. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And Paul has shown this in the first seven chapters. He's painted the picture. Whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, doesn't matter. You've fallen short of God's standards. Now notice what God did by intervening in verse 3. It says, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What the law couldn't do, God interceded, and he did for us. And if you remember in the previous chapters, just as one through one man sin entered the world, speaking of Adam, so through one man, forgiveness, righteousness, salvation also entered the world. Through that one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus took on the world's sins. For the world, for everyone. All the sins of the world have been paid for, the past, the present, and the future. But remember what we saw in verse 2. There's the law of the spirit of life in Christ, but there's also a law that people are bound to of sin and death. If you haven't been set free from the law of sin and death, you're still in it. You're still there. Only in Christ Jesus and the law of the spirit of that life in Christ Jesus are you and I set free or anybody. doesn't matter who they are. 
That's just the way it is. Jesus made it very clear that he's the way, the truth, and the life. That no man can come to the Father except through him. Doesn't matter the intentions. You know, I could love God so much, I put a cross on my back and I go from Jamesburg to L.A. God is not impressed. He's not looking for that kind of effort. If he was, would he have sent Jesus down to this earth to die the brutal death he did? No, because he would have let us know. We'll carry the cross from Jamesburg to L.A. We would have a pilgrimage to L.A. if we knew that's what God told us in his word. But he doesn't. He paid the price. He finished it. God did it by sending his own son. Verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Notice in verse 4, there is a righteous requirement of the law. The law demands some things. One of the things it demands is obedience to it. That's a standard. It's a perfect standard. There's nothing wrong with the law. If you follow the law to perfection, you're perfect. Well, we all know that cannot be done. How do we know? Because we blew it. You and I blew it many times. There's also another requirement of the law. You must be punished for your sin. Justice must be served. But notice what verse 4 says. That the righteous requirement of the law must be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now notice that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us, not by anything we've done, but because of Christ in us. That's imperative. That's so crucial to understand. There's nothing we can do to satisfy the law. It's impossible. But being in Christ changes the whole structure of what we're looking at. The law demands obedience. Well, Jesus, true God and true man, that's the significance of the virgin birth, him becoming a man, putting on your flesh and my flesh, the bones we have and bones, same bones he had. By doing that, he could live in our flesh and be the perfect man that was perfectly obedient. Jesus was treated as a sinner so you and I could be treated righteous. How awesome is that? He was treated as a sinner, although he, didn't, he never sinned, so that you and I could be made righteous and be treated as righteous because of what he did. The law demands punishment. 
And we know that Jesus took upon himself the full punishment of the law. When he said, it is finished, the law was paid in full. No debt, no damnation, no guilt. Your condemnation was erased by what Jesus did on the cross. Now notice, it's not by us, that verse says. It doesn't say by us. It says in us. Jesus did a miraculous work. When you became born again and received him into your heart, and I received him into my heart, he gave us his spirit. It's that spirit in us that's being referred to here. It's nothing that we have done. Also in that verse, who do not walk according to the flesh. When you hear that word walk, think of it this way. It's a habitual pattern of life. It's how you're living. It's your habitual thoughts. It's your habitual actions. Now all of us here, since we've been believers, have sinned. But you know and I know, it's not the habitual sins that we used to have before we came to Christ. That's who we were before Christ. Whatever that sin was we were committing, that's who we are. But once we receive Jesus Christ in our heart, we should see a progression from where we started to where we are today. And you might be a new believer in here or a young believer, and you might be still struggling with things. Whether they're the outward sins or the inner sins of the heart. Okay, it can be inner sins in your heart. It could be jealousy, uh, envy, anger. Some of those things are demonstrated outwardly. But understand, God is at work in you to bring about his perfect will. He's the author and perfecter of your faith and my faith, and he's doing a work in us. And it's a continual work. It's not a one-shot deal. It doesn't matter, young or old. We're all still, still being conformed into Jesus' image. Just want to emphasize again, this walk is a continual action. And we should always see that it's also a desire of our heart. If you're in here and you want to please God, understand that's one of the things that God has put in you. That's one of the signs that, hey, God's spirit's in me. He's changing me. He's giving me a desire to be more like him. Just take a look at the law again. You know, we always think about it or when it comes across in the pages of scripture. But understand the law is good and it gives us a standard. And we know the law basically is the Ten Commandments, but understand in the Old Testament there were over 600 laws. And they were condensed down into the Ten Commandments for our understanding. The law doesn't give us power to keep the law. The law doesn't have the power to give us in order to follow the law. It doesn't have that kind of um, power. This doesn't give us that stuff to follow. But 
The good news is, and we know this, especially those who have been walking with the Lord, that Jesus imparts to us his divine nature. And when we have his divine nature, it goes along with the scriptures that we're new creatures in Christ. The old man is dead. There's a new man living in us. Put there by none other than Jesus himself. It's part of the fruit that Jesus paid for through his crucifixion and his resurrection. That's part of the fruit that he gives us, part of that grace. It's a, his unmerited favor. He just bestows it on you and me. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What's your mind set on? Check it out during the day. What's your mind set on? What are you thinking about? What are your thoughts? What are you looking at? What are you listening to? What are you singing? How are you talking with your Christian friends and your non-Christian friends? Is there a difference? Are you wearing that mask one place or the other? Remember, the mind is a battlefield. And in this verse, it says, for those who live according to the flesh, notice, set their minds on the things of the flesh. They set their minds on it. It's an active word. If the mind is the battlefield, who's battling? Well, there's the flesh. Remember the law? Sin and death, the flesh. And then there's the law of the spirit of life. There's a battle going on between the two. Who do we obey and follow? Are we following the flesh or are we following God's Holy Spirit? That's easy. Where does it lead you, whoever you're following? Is it leading you into magnifying and glorifying the Lord and edifying Him? Or is it leading you into a place of sin, death, condemnation, guilt, feeling bad? It's easy to see where you are. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. And that word carnal, worldly, fleshly, you can substitute that in there for the word carnally. So for to be worldly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Man, doesn't the world seek life and peace? Aren't they looking for no rumblings deep in their heart? Aren't they looking for an abundant life all the time and trying to fill up their time with things that are going to make them happy? We all want that life and peace. Hopefully you and I have found that anything other than things that are in Christ are just temporary pleasures. They're passing like cotton candy. They just, it's a vapor, right? It's just gone. It's here today, gone tomorrow. But the things of Christ are lasting. How do you know? Well, when you're at a viewing of a loved one that you know is with the Lord, there's a peace. You're going to see him again. You're going to see their face one day again. 
along with the face of Jesus and all the characters that we've read about in our lifetime. We're going to meet them again. We're going to see our dear brothers and sisters that have been here in the short time we've been here. We're going to see them again one day. Great reunion. If I were to leave the face of this earth tonight, I can't wait to see you guys again up in heaven. That'd be awesome. We have a bond here. This is where God has put us. We're sharing each other's experience for a time till we move on or till the Lord takes us home. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Notice in verse 7 it says, because the carnal mind is enmity, it is hatred. The carnal mind, the fleshly mind is hatred. That's what it is against Almighty God. And see, God wants to change that fleshly mind into a spiritual mind. Where is your mind set? We looked at in the previous verse. The flesh, which is hatred towards God, or the spirit, which is life and peace. Seems so simple, doesn't it? Doesn't seem so simple when you just look, break it down like that. But guess who gets in the way? You and me. We get in the way of this, of God's working. We need to get out of his way. Remember, we need to become less and Jesus needs to become more. We see that example in the scriptures. More of Jesus, less of me. We sing. Verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Notice, those who are in the flesh, not in the spirit. So when we're talking about those people who are not born again believers. They do not have the spirit of the living God in them. They cannot please God. Doesn't matter how much money is donated. Doesn't matter how many good works they do. Doesn't matter. It's nice. Don't get me wrong. It's nice. It's helping someone. But guess who it doesn't please? It doesn't please God. Because he knows the final eternal destiny of mankind. It's either going to be in his presence for eternity or eternally separated from him. And he's concerned with that. As well he should be. He loves us so much that he reveals that to us throughout our lifetime. Now, question. Do you and I satisfy our normal physical and emotional needs through sinful gratification of those needs? I'll repeat the question again. Do we satisfy our normal physical and emotional needs through sinful gratification of those needs? I have in the past, no doubt about it. Whether it is, just think of the things that plague our world. Think of drug addiction, alcoholism, sexual perversions. How about the three girls, right, that were just found after 10 years of being uh, locked away? Think about that, 10 years. They were seven, now they're 17. They were 11, now they're 21. Ten years of their life. 
Think of all the pornography today, the sexual addictions today. Things that men and women, boys and girls are doing to gratify their physical and emotional needs. But they're choosing the wrong things. And what is it doing? It's leading to death. It's sin. There's physical and emotional death here and spiritual death. It's taken place. Remember, what the law cannot do, Jesus Christ can. The law can't tame the power of the flesh. It's impossible. It's been proven out through history. But Jesus Christ can. The Jesus in you and the Jesus in me and the Jesus in someone that's going to receive him somewhere in the world tonight will put to death the old man or the old woman and create a new creature in Christ that will be pointing and walking and living in the spirit and going towards Jesus throughout their life. That is what you and I are here for tonight. In other words, every time we come together, the Bible says don't stop fellowshipping together. Why? Well, it's cool seeing everybody, fooling around with everybody, talking, praying, eating, having ice cream together, having fun. But we're also being built up as a body of Christ to play tag with somebody. But when we play tag with somebody, we're trying to pass Jesus on to them. We're trying to touch others with Jesus Christ. And does it work? Even here in Jamesburg. All the way from the, all the corners of the world. The spirit of the living God is alive and real. And as this world's culture is going further and further away from Jesus, guess what's happening? The body of Christ is getting stronger and stronger. It's drawing closer and closer to Jesus. We're listening to God's Holy Spirit. We're becoming stronger and brighter as the world gets darker and darker. Let's look at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Just a thought. And I'm only going to speak from experience. 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I came to a prayerful decision. I just asked God for forgiveness for the previous, say, 15 or 20 years of my life where I thought I was a Christian. Now, according to this verse, it says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. My looking back, it's easy for me now at the point I'm at. But I wonder if 20 years ago I was truly a born-again believer. Because I, th I think I treated God's grace sloppily. 
I sin today and ask for forgiveness tomorrow. And then I would sin that same night and ask for forgiveness the next day. And it was a cycle. Was I in the spirit? Was I really, did I have the spirit of the living God in me? Or did he just allow me time on this earth to finally realize that I was trash in his grace and that I needed to stop and grow up and live for him and make that decision to allow his spirit to transform me from the inside out. I don't know the answer to what I just threw at you, but I am glad and I praise Jesus that he has brought me to this point in my life and I'm not where I was 20 years ago. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Remember, in verse 10, you and I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you and I who live, but it's Christ who lives in us now. As a result of our taking on his, he was our substitute. So we're switching places with him, spiritually speaking. He's paid the price. I no longer have to pay the price as a result of what he's done. And I believe that, and I put my trust in Jesus with that statement. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Is Jesus transforming your life since you asked him in? Have you seen a change for the better as a result of asking him as your Lord and Savior? Has he delivered you and set you free in some areas of your life that you were in bondage to? Hopefully the answer of, to that is yes. Does that mean you're perfect? No. Does that mean you still struggle? Yes. But have you seen a transformation because you know it's definitely Jesus doing that work in you? Do you have God's Holy Spirit in you? Well, if you receive him into your heart, you do. Have you been filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit? Is it something that you're always asking for, that the Holy Spirit come in and fill you over and over and over again? Because that's what he does. It's not a one-time filling. Think of all the things that you and I go through. How much do we need Jesus and the filling of his Holy Spirit through all those different trials and tribulations and situations and things that we don't even know is going to come around the corner? I want to finish on this. Do you have the Spirit? Well, let's do a little checklist. Number one, are you a Christian? Have you confessed your sins to Christ? Have you asked for repentance? Have you turned from your ways and now you're following his ways? Second thing, do you have a desire to honor Jesus? Do you have a desire to honor him? Do you have a desire to be more like Jesus? And finally, is his spirit at work in your heart? 
I know a lot of you, and I can say yes to all those. Can you? Can you say yes to those? Do you have a desire to honor Jesus? Do you have a desire to be more like him? Is his spirit at work in your heart? If you say no to that, then there's two questions or two statements. Why? Why can't you say yes? If you're not born again, that's easy. That's an easy one. You can be born again right now. By just saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I don't understand everything, but I want to put my trust in you. That's the simplicity of it. But the second one, I believe, is the beginning of this verse. That you might not grasp what God has put on the pages of his love letter to us. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The negativity of not thinking any of those things apply to you could be as a result of where you're set in your mind. The law of sin and death or the law of life and the spirit. Why not change that tonight if you're in the middle of, on the middle of the fence? And if you're doing okay, encourage you to just keep on walking in the spirit. But if you're one of those Christians on that middle that, that you condemn yourself very easy, stop pitying yourself. No more self-pity. Drop it. That's all fleshly stuff. It stinks. It stinks. Jesus Christ did a job that nobody else could do. You don't need to have the pity parties anymore. You need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ to be the man or woman God wants you to be. And he knows where he wants to bring you. I don't, but he does. Why don't let him start tonight doing that? And allow God's Holy Spirit to just fill you to overflowing and give you a whole new outlook. Keep your face in his book. Times are getting hairy. Times are getting dark. Jesus Christ needs guys and girls who are on fire for him to bring other people to the kingdom. Because it's coming. It's coming. Are you ready? And if not, get ready right now. Because the Holy Spirit is our life-giving charge, our power, our strength. Let's pray.